0: Welcome to Writer's Forum, a weekly presentation of WRBH-FM. I'm Sherry Alexander, and this week we're talking to Alan Gotro, author most recently of Bloodstained Louisiana, Twelve Murder Cases, 1896 to 1934. Welcome to Writer's Forum, Alan.
1: Thank you, Sherry. It's good to be here.
0: Welcome back, I should (laughs) say. Um, You were here a few years ago with your first edition of stories of um true crime in Louisiana. Dark Bayou. Dark Bayou. Um before you became an historian and you're an adjunct now at a Nunes, mm-hmm. you were with the Orleans Parish Criminal Sheriff. Yes, ma'am. You've been a legal investigator. hmm And you wrote a book um Italian Louisiana. Yes, I did.
1: Yes I did. It's still going strong four years later.
0: Now, you don't have an Italian name. No,
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, um, it started off as my master's thesis, and then I expanded it into a book. And uh, a lot of publishers like that kind of material, ethno history. And uh, History Press took it and ran with it. And now well, they want me to do an audio book on it. So
0: great! And all these um, of all these crime books. Both of them, because Italians figured so strongly in our history, so mm-hmm. several of these cases involve Italians, so I know you mm-hmm. you really know those. Mm-hmm. I loved the first book. You covered several, um, you know, I'm a journalist, my mm-hmm. specialty was covering courts, and you covered several of my um, cases that I was interested in. Oh, really? Uh, Chief Hennessy. Oh, Yes. And and the mm-hmm. uh, lynching of some Italians mm-hmm. who, oh yeah, not only were some of them acquitted, but some hadn't even been tried yet. And that yeah. was a that dark was, moment in our history.
1: Yeah, and when we when we look at this monument controversy, there's there's no monument to the eleven men who were executed. And I think if it it, it would say a lot for diversity if we if if something like that would happen.
0: Well, being a journalist and now a trained tour guide. I have no public opinion on anything <laughs> having to do with current controversies, okay. but you're, you, I acknowledge your point. That's mm-hmm. an interesting point. You also wrote about uh, Huey Long's assassination,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I think I've read everything that anybody has written, at least that in books. One, that, the... that one
1: has received the most critiques, and um, we were given access to an FBI file. That had not. Now it's been released. It was on a CD-ROM. John Fox, the FBI historian, and there were several questions that we asked uh, Daryl Hippensteel, who was the co-author, and I asked in that book that were never asked before, as to why did it take so long for the bodyguards to be questioned about what had happened to Huey Long. And and a lot of people like it. I mean, they really like it because they're, they're not really, they don't really know the background of Dr. Carl Weiss. They just know about Huey Long.
0: Well, and so. there was a film, I guess it came out just around the same time, maybe as your book or shortly after. And uh, I saw a presentation with Carl Weiss's son, who was quite elderly, mm-hmm. um, introduced it and... It, it, 61
1: Bullets, I think yes, it was called. Yeah,
0: asked a lot of mm-hmm. the questions that you had asked. Oh, yeah. Then the uh, baseball bat murderers, which mm. um, the late, great <laughs> Joe Bosco wrote a book about it, mm-hmm. which I figured in my interests only because he was subpoenaed to, you know, uh, mm. he, his involvement, supposedly. And you mentioned it in your... Um, I reread your first book. Just, oh, okay. Just okay. to get in the mood.
1: Well, I, I thought... And then... Uh, after the book was written in December of 2016, Carrie Myers was released from jail.
0: Well, um, that story would be humorous if it weren't for the fact that somebody mm-hmm. was murdered oh, yeah. and a child was at risk. Um, these two people, as I said, it sounds kind of humorous that they spent hours and hours together. And I thought you did a great job on that. And Thank then, you. And then I think toward the end you wrote about Vince Marinello, oh, yeah. which, oh, yeah. I mean, that one, again, it's a tragedy because somebody, there was a murder, mm-hmm. but the, um, the story of Vince Marinello's, uh, attempt to cover up and. Uh,
1: oh yeah. My that, father was a radio announcer for about 30 years in New Orleans and he knew Vince Marinello and he used to tell me stories about him. I mean, in the book, if you, in, you read the book at his wedding, he had a makeup artist that followed him around doing his makeup. I mean, he said he had a law degree and he was in a mafia and things of that nature, but it it was, it would, and then to claim that he was friends with Harry Lee and that he shouldn't be prosecuted because of that, I thought was absolutely ridiculous.
0: Well, in the list. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Nobody for people who weren't around what, 10 years ago now, Mm -hmm. um, he murdered his wife, and he was caught with a list, and it said things like uh, "go buy mamas," you know, "throw gun in the lake" mm-hmm. or something. I mean, oh, yeah. it was just oh yeah, amazing. And again, these things that the, they're almost comical, if <laughs> except oh, yeah. for the fact, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? Oh yeah, you know, if oh, you yeah. except for the fact that they involve a tragic murder, the the
1: oh, criminals yeah. are just. Sherry, we live in a state where truth is stranger than fiction all the time. So uh, a lot of these stories didn't surprise people. They remembered them, a lot of them. So,
0: well, now, the new book is mm-hmm. a kind of a prequel because 1896 to 1934, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. there won't be a lot of people around that remember um, crimes like that, or yeah. they would be pretty elderly by now, oh, very, I guess. Mm-hmm. They they would have been kids in, mm-hmm. for some of the later ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested in the fact that when you were introducing it, because I'm a journalist, you said uh, crimes back then were tried in the media with much more reckless abandon than they are now, which I hope people realize, you know, we've improved quite Oh we a bit. have.
1: We have, especially in, in those particular cases, but you know I mean they, they every single day of the trials, I mean um, they would there would be an article when you go doing research, there'd be articles in the newspaper and, the, and there was so much drama and so much hyperbole. It's not like that now. I think would they stick more to the facts when they know the facts and and but uh, yeah, it was it was, a, it, was very, it was kind of reckless back then they had to sell newspapers.
0: One of the early ones that you talk about in this book, I had never heard this story before, a U.S. attorney in New Orleans who Mm -hmm. was murdered. I guess his name is J. Ward Gurley.
1: Oh, yeah, J. Ward Gurley.
0: Tell us something about that.
1: Well, J. Ward Gurley was the epitome. I mean, he was a pinnacle in in society, and he was very well respected. And he represented this gentleman who... uh, Kind of took it personally that he lost a, a case in court. The gentleman had been, uh, his name escapes me right now. Lewis, Lewis
0: Lyons. Call, Lewis
1: Lyons, yes. Yeah. And um, Lewis Lyons was, uh, in a layman's opinion, is was an unstable individual. He blamed everything on everybody else. And when uh, Gurley lost the case, he blamed it on Gurley. And even though he had been talking to Gurley up until the time of the murder. Uh, it was it, it was really strange because then all of a sudden he kind of he kind of snapped, and decided to kill to kill Gurley. Now there was no way he was going to get off. I mean he was just he he had murdered one of the the uh, the people who were who were very important in in New Orleans society. Girl, like I said, Gurley was very well respected. Now he didn't he had somewhat of a privileged background, but Gurley was uh, I, I other than what was in the book, he was an incredible individual. I mean he's very intelligent. And, uh, and then he, he was a U.S. attorney, and then he was a D.A. And that's when he was, he was I say, executed by Lewis Lyons when he was a D.A.
0: Sounded like it. And mm-hmm. it happened right here in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. Um, At the, other... the
1: McEaca building, as a matter of fact.
0: And what is that now?
1: It's still the McEaca building. <laughs> it's on Canal Street, uh, near the end of Canal Street. It still stands, but it's been renovated. Yeah, it looks different bit. from the mm-hmm. picture. Oh, yeah.
0: The, the next one that we'll mention... I had heard of, and you did a I thought a good story again involved I guess people with an Italian surname mm-hmm. um, the black Hand
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, Peter Lamana,
1: yes, who, Walter LaManna. Is...
0: they had a funeral home um i I don't know if it's still open, and it had several names in a row uh,
1: Penna. <laughs> Loved it. You oh,
0: yeah. But it's oh, yeah. closed now.
1: Yes. Uh, there's, there's it's still been bought out. Oh, it's been bought out a long time ago, back in the eighties. I believe it, it closed down. Um, but it, it, it's, it, this was kind of left over from the Italian book because I didn't cover it that deeply. Uh, and I found, I found a relative and I kept trying to get the relative to talk to me and they said, no, it was still too painful. And here we are, uh, over a hundred years later. And um, the LaManna kidnapping demonstrated to—the reason why that case is important is because everyone was looking for Walter LaManna, the little boy who was kidnapped at seven years old. It wasn't just the Italians looking for him. It was everyone. So it's kind of like the Italians are now being accepted because, as you know, in New Orleans history, in Louisiana history, they were always discriminated against. Well, in this particular case— People felt sorry for the Italians, especially this little boy.
0: So this is 1907. Yeah, 1907. It's not that long after the mm-hmm. Hennessy, mm-hmm. uh, and the
1: about 15 years.
0: And the um, some of <clears throat> the rumor is some of our most outstanding um, citizens at the time were among the lynch crowd that lynched oh, yes. the Italians. Oh yes,
1: <laughs> I'm sure you've heard of uh, Sal Perricone. Sure, he, we've interviewed him. Yeah, He um, he's doing an historical novel on the lynching in the aftermath. So he's working on that right now. We've become really good friends. And um, he said, you sure you want to put, when I put LaManna, I said, you sure you want to put LaManna in this book? I said, yeah. I said, he goes, all right. And he helped me out with a little bit of it. In fact, he was the one that found someone that for me to interview, but they didn't want to talk to me because they said it was still too painful. I mean, you're going to talk about a boy who was, decapitated and just taken apart for, for money, uh, from a prominent family. And that can be emotionally. And Sherry, those types of stories really get to me. I have to back away from after I'm done. Okay. So
0: we have the, um, kidnapping and that was very emotional. It reminded me of a more modern kidnapping because the child was also decapitated. Although there was never any ransom, Uh, Adam Walsh's Son, Mm -hmm. John Walsh's son Adam was. uh, I was living in Florida at the time, and I had a young son about the same age.
1: Okay.
0: And somebody lured him away from, I think, a video game. Mm -hmm. And as you you may know, John Walsh went on to have a TV show. Oh yeah,
1: America's Most Wanted. You know. Well, there's there's a lot of other kidnapping cases too. Nicole Lapota was one on the West Bank, and uh, and she was brutalized uh, by a guy named Willie and uh he's he's still in jail fortunately but you know whenever a crime involves a child it's it, it's devastating not only to the family but it's devastating to the people who are sympathetic about it and with the Walter Lamanna case um my first speaking engagement i there were some italians in the audience cuz the italian book you know never goes away and uh they they keep asking me are you going to write another one you going to write another. i don't know i might leave it i, I don't know but it gets involved. It gets detailed, and when you go to the library, down you find things that you didn't know existed. I mean, if you read the autopsy report, I mean, it was. I had to put. I had to put this down. It, it took me a while before I picked it back up again and started writing. So, what a painful mm-hmm.
0: um, story. Then, also of great interest to me, <laughs> as a female, mm-hmm. is. Um, You have a whole chapter of several instances where women's defense at the time, and this was, you know, around the turn of the last century Mm -hmm. and early years. You talk about the unwritten law. Mm -hmm. Tell us
1: about the unwritten law. The unwritten law was a justification, actually accomplished two things. It demonized men. And it was justification for a jilted lover or paramour to kill their intended, you might say. A couple of them were people who were married that carried on extramarital affairs who promised to leave their wives, and they didn't do it, and they were killed. Another one was a woman, named Dora McRae, Zia McRae, who was uh, fighting for her honor, claiming that there was some question of honor at stake, but there was also a question about how the murder actually took place. The man, was, the man that... She alleged had had uh, made advances toward her was shot in the back, so he wasn't facing her. So if he's shot in the back, how was your honor, you know, offended like that? And uh, it was. But their very honor
0: was offended by these men taking advantage of their good virtue. Oh and, yes, oh yes. And some of them were pregnant. One of them,
1: Katie Fretch, was pregnant, and Katie Fretch went on to become a prostitute, actually in uh, in Storyville and uh she was actually after she had killed her uh, i think it was george was george george real yeah i believe it was george real after she killed him uh she took up with another man who was married and lived with him for a while so and but the whole thing sherry is that you know men were always you know there's there they were pointed they pointed to men as being wrong all the time and sometimes there was a stalker in there as well if you read the, the story about the stalker so what I wanted to do was I wanted to take this and show people that, hey, these were not laws that were on the books. The unwritten law was not on the books. And people still used it. to. Some of them got acquitted. Not
0: everybody. It.
1: Not everybody, but some of them got acquitted. And it
0: didn't it. work in reverse.
1: No, it did not. It did not work in reverse. So
0: we've come a long way as far as sexism in 100 oh, years. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. But the point I, I was trying to make is that this book covers a lot of social issues that were involved uh, between that period, 1896 and 1934.
0: I loved you. You quote um, uh, the defend the uh, one in uh, a preacher speaking in defense of one of the um, uh, criminals. I one of the women. Mm-hmm. I forgot which one, but I wrote down his description. He said, "Craven villains who cesspool innocent girlhood," and I thought cesspool as a verb. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah. it says, it, says mm-hmm. it all.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, you, well, when you look at what was going on at the time, as far as culture is concerned, you know, women were seen as th- there was no liberation. Yet. Well, a couple of them there wasn't. It took place before. But, you know, the, to take up down here, New Orleans culture is really weird because back then what was not Popular until maybe the 60s or 70s was popular around the turn of the 20th century. People living together, common law wives. What he said was true, but, uh, you know, I always use this excuse. My wife says, how come you always forget to do things? I'm a man. Well, that's what happened. They were men. That's what the men did back then. So, uh, but I thought it was interesting that he, that's why I put it in there, that he would actually come to her defense. And
0: this is one of the chapters where it's not just New Orleans. You There mm-hmm. was Case in Crowley, mm-hmm. Opelousas.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you have a chapter, you call it Bodies in Trunks. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of a gruesome
1: yes, story. Yes, it was. It was. Henry Moody, um, took place in the French Quarter in October of 1927. Uh, he had gotten mad at his wife. Um, he knew his wife was cheating on him and um he knew she was going to leave him and his brother's wife had already left his brother and henry moity blamed the sister-in-law for putting these ideas in his wife's head and he decided one night just to take his wife and sister-in-law apart and put them in trunks and he fled and they found him on i believe it was bayou lafourche and uh but the the ironic not ironic but you know what i think is 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 wrong is that when somebody gets life, it should mean life. I mean, think about this. Two brutal murders. you got to not only murder him, you got to cut them up and put them in these trunks. And he only did, I think it was like maybe 14, 15 years. But when he went to California, he started exhibiting the same behavior. And he had to live He almost killed a woman in California. He shot her. Kind of gave up the cane knife and everything. But that story addresses more of the, the thinking of men... In, and and the gore. You know, like I said, Sherry, when we wrote Dark Bayou, it's that dark part of your brain that people are interested in. They're, they're interested in crime. Everyone's interested in crime. And this one was not just thrown in. I actually read his confession, which was on file at the uh, New Orleans Public Library, and, and there was no remorse whatsoever because he was going to be left with three kids on his own, and he figured that's what she deserved. And there
0: was a... Um a situation where a man's wife left him. He didn't murder her, mm-hmm. but this was in Florida. And it was what triggered it is when you said he was going to be left with the kids, this man had kids that were like five, four, three, two, and one. Oh. And he said, I have no idea why she left. <laughs> why was she leaving me? And I thought uh, there was a country music song, Put Another Log on the Fire. And I said, mm-hmm. there should be a Put Another Log on the Fire uh, award and that person would have got it, but as you say, men are behave a certain way. Um, I think it was your last chapter was the butterfly man mm-hmm. because this man
1: sold little butterfly trinkets. trinkets. Fred Lockhart, yeah, um, he. Um, this was Shreveport. This yes, was this one. was Shreveport, and it's a big. It was really big in the north, uh, up there uh, at the time. It was during the Great Depression. And this gentleman had claimed that, you know, he was taking care of his invalid wife. And he actually talked to Meg Geffen, who was the victim, her mother, and said, I need her. To, I need her. Could she come and help me take care of my, my my invalid wife? And so he attacked her, sexually assaulted her, and actually laid her out in a ritual manner. By ritual, I mean it was so neat. Everything was so neat. And the odd thing about this is he he confessed to the crime. But they still put him on trial. And he also said that he was involved in one of the biggest murders of the early 20th century, which was um, Mary Fagan. Little
0: Mary Fagan. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, Mm -hmm. That was in Georgia. Uh, People called the Leo Frank case Mm -hmm. because Leo Frank was, um, well, he was tried and the mob outside ended up lynching him. And because of that, case, um, that's what led the beginning of the Jewish anti-defamation league. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was in, I lived in Georgia for a few years and learned quite a bit and wrote some, mm-hmm. something about little Mary Fagan and the prejudice. What was his alleged involvement? Or He, he was said, in a lynch mob.
1: Oh, he well, was he said a, he was in a lynch mob. Now he was in Georgia at the time Yeah, and he had been convicted of, um, after, the, after the, the lynching of Leo Frank in, in 1915, he alleged that he had been arrested and then he escaped from a work farm and then made his way to Louisiana. And I couldn't find any record of him actually being in Georgia at the time. I don't know if it was a claim to where he could say, you know, I, uh, I was there, but this is really strange, Sherry. The way May Geffen was killed, was the, exactly the same way that Mary Fagan was killed, so I think maybe he was trying to well, maybe have a confession in a way that he had done both of them.
0: Well, I think, as I recall, um, the handyman,
1: Jim Conley,
0: his, yeah, on his deathbed, he confessed mm-hmm. that he oh, had done it. Okay, I'm pretty okay. sure I remember that. Uh,
1: well, I know there was a, a young boy that a uh, guy uh, I believe his name was Augustus. He um, at 93 years old, he said he saw Jim Conley carrying Mary Fagan's body, Uh, but he wouldn't come out with it before then because he says he was, he said he was afraid. Uh, It's one of those things like a Jack the Ripper. We're never really going to know, you know, unless there's... But we're
0: pretty sure that um, Leo Frank did not do it. No, he did
1: not. No, he did not.
0: Um, And as I said, prejudice is a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. Well... Are you writing a third volume or what? what? Well, I'm
1: writing another one um, right now. I haven't gotten a title for it, but it covers a lot of other cases that were missed. Uh, there was a case in it's called the Dreyer LaBeouf. It was a love triangle in 1927.
0: In, Is that here? In, yeah, in it's Oregon. in Louisiana.
1: Um, and um, uh, a lady I'm doing research on a lady by the name of Louise Pete. She was the black widow of Bienville Parish now she was executed in california in 1947
0: for murders there
1: yeah for murders there and uh, but uh, you know i'm basically what i'm going to do is it's either it's going to be murders in louisiana or murderers from louisiana that go to other parts of the nation and um there's just a, a lot oh you were you, how long have you been in, in the war? there's a case that occurred in uh, st charles parish no st john parish uh In 1956, the Hotard Moat case, Um, there was a a lady who was uh, having an affair with a married man, and um, he was found dead, and she was missing. She's been missing since 1956, Mm. and for some reason, it's under a cloud of mystery in in St. John, but I I am interviewing and in conversations with the daughter of the woman who's missing, so I'm hoping to do some more research on that. I'm taking my time on this. Share it's five books in five years. I'm tired. Wow.
0: <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> how does a nice man like you, family man, you have three kids.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How did you get interested in this like macabre subject?
1: I've always very quickly. Um, my brother and I when we were younger, uh, used to watch a PB, uh, PBS show that was five parts. It was called Jack the Ripper an investigative discovery. And I got interested in that. And then finally I figured out that, Hey, I'm not really going to find out who Jack the Ripper is. And I became interested in, in true crime. My one, my first love is military history. So after my next one, I'm going back to military history for a little while. Um, uh, people want me to write, uh, stories about ghosts that are involved with murders, and I'm not so sure I believe in that. Um, I've been on a couple of web series where the lady interviews me, and uh, they seem interested in, in in a lot of true crime. But the books have been doing okay. Uh, I want to do uh, a script. I'd like to write a script about stories in Louisiana, maybe do a, a show where we do different stories every week. But uh, that might be in the future. But I became interested in true crime basically when I was about eight, nine years old.
0: Jack the Ripper.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which, of course, <laughs> many, many things have been written about oh, that. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, you get six new books every year.
0: I was mm-hmm. uh, in London at some point with one of my kids, my one of my, do- my daughter, and it turned out we were staying in the place where somebody had been murdered wow. by the Jack the Ripper person. Oh, <laughs> so, wow.
1: That was our big... That's um, on my bucket list. I hope I get there soon.
0: Well, good luck. And when you write your next book, we'll be calling on you. Okay. And um, good luck with this one. You've been listening to Writer's Forum, and we want to thank our guest this week, Alan Gotro, author most recently of Bloodstained Louisiana, 12 Murder Cases, 1896 to 1934. I'm Sherry Alexander for WRBH.